Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am great. How are you doing, <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> we are upon the eve of, or Crime Con is tomorrow. Um, well, it kind of starts tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know where yes. I was going with that sentence, but it started off wrong, so I just bailed. Um, yeah, so we're just getting all the last minute stuff done, which is everything, I think, right? Like, in life, you can plan like, as much yeah. as you want. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to realize that I had, like, all these things in my head. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do a little each day this week until, you know, That's hilarious. Thursday rolls around, and then I'll be just, like, ready to go. But I don't know. I find that, like, you just – everything is a last-minute thing. You can't even do anything until – the last minute so right. there's no point in trying i know i'm like what can i do pack <laughs> all of my clothes i wear those on a regular basis they are still right. going to be here with me i can wash them and basically hope for the best but who knows what's right. going to happen yeah i'm so with the you. message here is procrastinate because <laughs> there's truly no point in wanting to get ahead <laughs> i won't i won't uh take that advice because i just cannot but i have like cleaned my entire van out have the seats laid down i'm ready to bring stuff ready to see you and get to spend time with you yes. and lovely listeners and other podcasters and uh, my co-host from Criminality, Rebecca, will be there. So it will just be, we'll have a good time. Date with Dateline is doing a, um, well, this will all be over by then, sorry, but Date with Dateline is doing um, a panel with Mank. So I'm very excited oh, yeah. to see that on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So it's awesome. And we're going to get to see Haley, who we talk about all the time, and she's such a big part of the work that we do, and I am so excited to be able to see Haley. So like you said, this by the time this episode comes out, this has already happened. We've already met Haley and had such a wonderful time with her. <laughs> right. Or what a disaster it was, and <laughs> I'll edit this part out on Monday. Just kidding. But Mandy, I'm ready. I'm very excited for this story. This is – I'll let you do the introing, but – I'm pumped. Me too. Yeah. So this week, we are actually diving into the tumultuous life of Ernesto Miranda. So that name might not immediately ring a bell, but he's the man whose name became really synonymous with the rights of criminal suspects in the United States, also known as the Miranda rights. Surely you've heard of those. So it seems crazy to think about a time before these widely known rights existed. Today, you can really ask just about anyone, even a child. What do police officers say when they're getting arrested? And pretty much everyone's going to be able to tell you at least the first thing they say, which is that you have the right to remain silent. But what some might not know is that you didn't always know you had the right to remain silent because the police didn't have to tell you that. In fact, we've only had that right for about 57 years, which means that our own grandparents lived in a time where those accused of a crime really didn't have any defined or enforced rights. It wasn't until June of 1966 that a landmark Supreme Court case between the state of Arizona and Ernesto Miranda led to these four infamous rights being established. They are, you have the right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, you have the right to an attorney, and if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. And the whole thing about this is that you have to be informed of these rights upon your arrest if the police plan to question you about a crime. So today we're going to break down the case that led to one of the most remarkable changes to our justice system and the life of the man the Miranda rights are named after. Ernesto Arturo Miranda was born on March 9, 1941 in Mesa, Arizona. 
He was the youngest of five sons born to Manuel, a Mexican immigrant that worked as a house painter, and his mother, who unfortunately passed away when Ernesto was just five years old. The following year, Manuel remarried, but Ernesto struggled to bond with his stepmother, which led to a growing disconnect within the family. In school, Ernesto, who went by Ernie during his childhood, had a troubled academic record. He frequently skipped classes and faced a significant turning point in his life in the eighth grade, which seems so young considering I have an eighth grader myself. Ernesto stole a car at this age, and this resulted in his first felony arrest, and he was subsequently put on probation. A few months later, he was arrested again, this time for burglary, and this led to being placed at the Arizona State Industrial School for Boys at Fort Grant. He was released in December of 1955, but he quickly found himself back in trouble. He was accused of attempted sexual assault and physical assault, and he was sent back to Fort Grant. Despite these multiple stays in juvenile detention, Ernesto's criminal activities persisted, and his offenses included peeping in windows and armed robbery. This has nothing to do with the story, but peeping in windows, I feel like that used to be a very big thing, right? Yes, and it must have be because it maybe wasn't really pursued and prosecuted, but now it's very much against the law. If you get caught looking in someone's windows, like you're definitely getting arrested. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like laws maybe do, like new laws definitely maybe deter activity. Yeah. And I'm going to sound like an old curmudgeon and just be like, everybody's too into their phones. That's why nobody's peeping anymore. Yeah. But I'm well, glad I mean, about it. Thank goodness. Yeah. Right. Like, please be into your phone and not into my windows. I know. <laughs> so in 1958, Ernesto enlisted in the army, but that didn't really last long. He went AWOL just 15 months later. Another incident of window peeping led to a six month hard labor sentence in the post stockade at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He was also then given an undesirable discharge from the military. So Ernesto continued to live this nomadic life. He was moving from state to state like Kentucky, Arizona, California, and Tennessee, and accumulating more legal problems along the way. These new charges included vagrancy in Texas and the theft of a car in Alabama, where he was actually arrested for driving a stolen vehicle between states. He received a one-year and one-day sentence in a medium-security federal reformatory in Ohio, but actually requested a transfer to California so he'd be closer to his family. After his release, Ernesto met Twyla, a woman who had recently separated from her husband, and she had two children. The couple got together and moved to Mesa, Arizona, and had a daughter. Ernesto found stable employment as a dock worker for a produce facility, which was a nice change of pace considering his previous job-hopping history. His supervisor even commended him as one of the best workers he had encountered. However, despite these positive changes, Ernesto's criminal behavior continued. In March of 1963, he was tied to the kidnapping and sexual assault of an 18-year-old Phoenix woman who has been referred to as Patricia Weir, which is a fake name used to protect her identity. Patricia was working at a local movie theater that night, and due to a movie that was running late, she didn't get to her final bus stop until 12.10 a.m. While walking home, she saw a car pull out of a driveway ahead of her. A man emerged from the vehicle and grabbed her. He covered her mouth and said, don't scream and you won't get hurt. Despite her pleas, the man forced Patricia into his car, tied her hands behind her back, and forced her to lie down in the back seat. After driving about 20 minutes into the desert, the man stopped and raped Patricia before driving her back to the city. During the drive, he said, quote, 
whether you tell your mother what has happened or not is none of my business, but pray for me, end quote, which is one of the weirder things I think I've ever heard somebody say to a victim at the time, right? So he released Patricia four blocks from her home, and she and her sister immediately contacted police. When Patricia spoke with Detective Cooley, she gave a description of her attacker's car and mentioned that it was either green or gray with dark striped seats, and it had a distinct smell of turpentine, which I guess I just don't know what that smells like. You know what I can smell right off the bat? mothballs other than that i will yeah i'm always wrong i think vanilla yeah. everything smells like vanilla to me. <laughs> right me too so patricia described the suspect as being a male possibly of mexican origin and around 27 or 28 years old she thought he stood about 5 foot 11 and weighed around 175 pounds with a slender build a medium complexion and he had black short curly hair and he was wearing levi's a white t-shirt and dark rimmed glasses When she was later asked, Patricia expressed some uncertainty about the suspect's nationality, and she even suggested that he might have been Italian or another foreign nationality. She said that it was dark and she just wasn't really able to get the best look at her attacker. Approximately a week later, a family member of Patricia noticed a vehicle matching the description of the suspect's car and was able to write down part of the license plate, specifically making note that she saw the letters DFL. This family member informed Detective Cooley about the partial license plate information and said that the vehicle resembled a 1953 Packard. Detective Cooley initiated a search for license plates that had the letters DFL within the database, and this turned up around 1,000 plates that had variations of those letters just in the state of Arizona. One of these results corresponded to a 1953 Packard that happened to be registered to 22-year-old Ernesto Miranda. Further investigation revealed that Ernesto Miranda had an extensive criminal record, which included prior charges related to attempted sexual assault. Detective Cooley paid a visit to Ernesto and Twyla at their home, and Ernesto willingly agreed to speak to the officer privately, and he went down to the police station to answer questions. He was not placed under arrest, and therefore he was not handcuffed during this interaction. When they got to the station, another officer that was already at the station came and informed Detective Cooley that there had actually been an unrelated robbery case that was still unsolved, and Ernesto matched the physical description of the suspect in that case as well. The victim in the robbery was a woman named Barbara. So both Barbara and Patricia were brought in to view a lineup that included Ernesto to see if they were able to identify him as being their attacker. In the end, both of the women said that Ernesto did resemble the man who attacked them, but neither one could say definitely that he was the perpetrator. So after standing in this lineup, Ernesto was interrogated by two detectives. He was not informed of his right to remain silent or his right to an attorney, even though both of those things were already protected by various amendments. But as we said before, the requirement to inform a suspect about those rights didn't exist at this time. So if you weren't brushed up on your knowledge of the Constitution and didn't know what rights you had and that no one tells you, then you're, you're not likely to know. So initially, Ernesto denied any involvement in the crimes, but within a short period of time, he actually did confess to the robbery of Barbara, as well as the kidnapping and rape of Patricia. Ernesto was actually then brought in to meet Patricia, which I think is one of the crazier things I've ever heard in any story. And he told the police that Patricia was the person that he had kidnapped and raped, which is so... 
I have never heard of that being done in any other case. Me either. I was thinking about that, like how traumatic it is for victims to get on the stand and have to face their attackers. But to have this be like very quickly after you're just in a room with this guy. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like the absolute worst idea ever. Yeah. It's probably a reason why we don't hear about that. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, Yeah. So Patricia also was able to confirm that Ernesto was her attacker um, after not only seeing him, but also listening to his voice. And we have so much more to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Sleep is one of the most important things we can do for our mental and physical health. There's literally science behind it, and yet it's something I struggle with. But thankfully, there is Beam's Dream Powder. Dream is a healthy and delicious hot cocoa that is designed to help you drift off to sleep and stay asleep. And that's because Dream contains a powerful and all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. In fact, a recent clinical study revealed Dream helped 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed, and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. And today, our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like sea salt caramel, cinnamon cocoa, and chocolate peanut butter. Better sleep has never tasted better. I have cinnamon cocoa dream and I really love the flavor. I'm someone that struggles with textures and I hate anything to feel grainy when I eat or drink, but luckily dream is a dream come true because all I have to do is add warm milk or water to my dream, stir it in and enjoy it at bedtime. It's not grainy at all and the flavor is amazing. Find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash moms and use code moms at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash moms and use code moms for up to 40% off. Wait, Wyclef John did what? Did you just experience a moment of true crime FOMO? Then you need True Crime Feed Podcast, unlimited premium true crime, curated just for you. You'll hear exactly what Wyclef Jean did with his charity, as well as a divorce that devolved into the ultimate revenge, as well as bizarre black markets, political murder plots, and a school for troubled teens so horrific it could be a Stephen King novel. You know those feels you get when you're tuning into a primo true crime podcast? The thrill chills. You can't get enough. But not every podcast hits the same. You can spend hours sifting through mediocre shows that just don't deliver the goods. Well, not anymore. True Crime Feed Podcast has your back. True Crime Feed sifts through the archives from the past decade to select the best cases and gives you a quick overview sprinkled with a teensy bit of humor, plus a weekly top three power ranking for shows currently trending, and lets you know what shows to send down your podcast queue trapdoor. You know you want those thrill chills, so come get them. Subscribe to the True Crime Feed. That's True Crime F-E-E-D, wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were discussing where we are in the story with Ernesto Miranda, and we are to the point in the story where he has actually come in contact with the woman he's accused of raping, and she has identified him uh, to the police, and he's confessed to this attack. 
So following the confession, Detective Cooley asked Ernesto to write out everything that happened for both the robbery and the kidnapping and rape cases, which Ernesto complied with. Each confession page had a printed certification that Ernesto signed. The certification explicitly stated that the statement was voluntary, made of his own free will, without any threats, coercion, or promises of immunity, and with full awareness of his legal rights, understanding that any statement he made could be used against him. It's important to note that despite signing this statement, Ernesto was not fully aware of his legal right to an attorney or the potential consequences of his statement because Detective Cooley did not inform him of these rights. This entire process of writing and signing an official confession happened over a span of about two hours. Ernesto later claimed that Detective Cooley had coerced him into making the confession and even dictated what he should write. According to Ernesto, he was led to believe that if he confessed to the kidnapping charge, the robbery charges would be dropped. However, during his initial court hearing, he discovered that he had been charged with both rape and kidnapping in one case and robbery in the other. Despite requesting an attorney multiple times during his court hearing, he didn't receive one. Detective Cooley, though, totally denied the allegations of pressuring Ernesto into confessing or instructing him on what to write. Two weeks after the first hearing, Ernesto attended another hearing where he was once again denied legal representation. It was only at the arraignment that he was appointed an attorney. This attorney advised Ernesto to plead guilty considering the confession he gave, but Ernesto chose to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. So according to court records, a doctor who examined Ernesto determined that he had, quote, an emotional illness of the schizophrenic type, end quote. The doctor's report also stated that Ernesto was alert and oriented in regards to time, place, and person, and that he displayed intelligence within normal limits. He was competent to stand trial, and he met the legal definition of sanity. During the summer of 1963, Ernesto faced back-to-back trials. One was for the robbery of Barbara, and the other was for the kidnapping and rape of Patricia. His trial for the robbery occurred first and resulted in a conviction. Next, he went to trial for the charges of kidnapping and raping Patricia. The prosecution called four witnesses, including Patricia and her sister, to provide testimony in the case. During Patricia's testimony, she spoke very quietly and occasionally even needed encouragement to speak louder. At one point, a recess was even granted to allow her to kind of regain her composure, and her testimony really had a big impact on the jury. The other two prosecution witnesses were the two detectives that had interrogated Ernesto, and they testified regarding his verbal confession and also his written confession was entered as evidence, even though the defense objected to it. Ernesto's attorney argued that the previous Supreme Court decisions granted suspects the right to an attorney, which was a right that Ernesto had not been made aware of. But the judge in the case disagreed, and he cited this paragraph that Ernesto had signed and agreed to that indicated he understood his right. So they're like, look, he has said right here that he was, you know, willing and aware. So the judge ultimately did allow the confession as evidence, though. Ernesto's defense attorney tried to provide reasonable doubt, but on June 19, 1963, Ernesto was found guilty of both charges. He received sentences of 20 to 30 years in prison for each of those convictions. 
Of course, Ernesto appealed the decision to the Arizona Supreme Court, but they ended up upholding both of his convictions and ruled that his constitutional rights were not violated when his confession was obtained. But as we know, Ernesto didn't give up there. His next stop was to the U.S. Supreme Court. Ernesto petitioned the Supreme Court to review his kidnapping and rape convictions in June of 1965. His unrelated robbery conviction was not presented to the Supreme Court for review, even though he wasn't specifically informed of his rights in that case either. The ACLU, or the American Civil Liberties Union, learned about Ernesto's situation and, on his behalf, requested legal representation from the Lewis and Roca law firm in Phoenix. This law firm accepted the case and submitted a petition to the Supreme Court alleging that Ernesto's right to an attorney had been violated. The Supreme Court agreed to review 150 different cases dealing with the issue of when the right to counsel begins. They ended up selecting four of those cases to address. They were the cases of Roy Stewart, Michael Vignera, Carl Westover, and Ernesto Miranda. Each case involved suspects who had been questioned in isolation without proper warnings of their rights, and their statements were used as evidence in their trials. These cases were consolidated into a single ruling. I thought this was super interesting. Ernesto Miranda's name was the primary name used in the ruling because it happened to be first in alphabetical order. We could have had something called the Stewart Rights. Right? You don't have your big narrow rights. Yeah, I feel like there's a good reason they didn't do that one. That one's just tricky. But but really, the Westover rights kind of sounds like, um, I don't know, it sounds like something cool. Yeah, but it is kind of wild that, like, it's alphabetical order, this thing that everyone's going to have to know about. You You get it because of where you fall in the alphabet. So to give a little more information on these other cases that were reviewed, uh, Roy Stewart was arrested in New York during a purse snatch robbery investigation, which actually resulted in one victim's death. His arrest was based on cashing a stolen check connected to one of the robberies. After nine rounds of police questioning over five days, he confessed to the deadly robbery. This confession was used as evidence in his trial, leading to his conviction for robbery and first-degree murder. Ultimately, it resulted in a death sentence. In Michael Vignera's case, he confessed to a dress shop robbery in New York three days after it occurred. His confession was given verbally, and he was formally arrested and questioned by an assistant DA at another station, with a reporter transcribing this exchange. Both the verbal confession and the transcript were used as evidence in his trial, resulting in a conviction for first-degree robbery and a 30- to 60-year sentence. Carl Westover faced arrest in Kansas City for two local robberies, and he was later found to be wanted on a felony charge in California by the FBI. He was interrogated by local police and FBI agents for two and a half hours, during which he signed prepared confessions admitting to the California robberies. These confessions were used as evidence, leading to Carl's sentencing of 15 years for each robbery count. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Growing up, subscriptions were nothing compared to what they are now. Sure, you may have had a magazine subscription that came once a month, but that's about it. But now, subscriptions can be started with just the touch of a button, but canceling them? That's a whole other beast, which is why I'm thankful for Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills, all in one place. 
I've had Rocket Money now for over a year, and it's an app I use quite often. Not only can Rocket Money negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%, but it allows you to monitor all of your expenses, as well as recommends custom budgets based on your past spending. But they'll also send you notifications when you've hit those spending limits. I had signed up my son for some AI subscription thing a few months ago. Well, guess what? I immediately forgot all about it. When it charged me for the second month, I actually had no idea until I got a notification from Rocket Money alerting me to this recurring charge, and they canceled it for me right away. Had it not been for Rocket Money, I'd still be paying for this program that my son lost interest in the very same day. And it's not just us that love Rocket Money. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average $720 a year. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash moms. That's rocketmoney.com slash moms. rocketmoney.com slash moms. It's hard to prioritize things that haven't happened yet. That goes for lots of things, including estate planning. And with traditional estate planning costing thousands of dollars, it's very easy to not prioritize it. But thanks to Trust and Will, you can protect you and your loved ones from the comfort of your home, starting at just $159. When I started on the Trust and Will website, I was prepared to be completely overwhelmed but I wasn't. I was able to go through and answer questions regarding my wishes and how I wanted to set up a trust in a way that would benefit my husband and kids if something ever happened. The biggest thing for me is to know that in the event of something happening to my husband or I, my kids will be taken care of. Having a trust set up that includes who would look after my kids is much less scary thanks to trust and will. Being able to share my care wishes, final arrangement requests, and power of attorney is a very empowering thing. The last thing I want is for my loved ones to deal with expensive legal proceedings or even having the state decide what happens to my assets. Having a trust means all this is taken care of, and I can take care of my family even after I'm gone. Gain peace of mind today with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash moms. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash moms. Want to get away? Yeah, I do too. But since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey. And you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's Journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm deep in the fifth chapter with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's Journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. 
bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the infamous, well, I guess it's not infamous, it's just famous, the famous case of Ernesto Miranda, who is the man behind the name of the Miranda rights. Yeah. So now we are discussing the point in the story where he has taken his case all the way to the Supreme Court and they have now listened and they are ready to issue their decision. On June 13th, 1966, they finally had an answer. The court ruled that individuals in custody must be explicitly informed of their constitutional rights before any statements they make to the police can be used as evidence in court. These rights include the right to remain silent, the right to have an attorney present, and that includes having a public defender. You have also the option to waive these rights, and you have to agree that you understand that anything said during questioning after you're detained can be used in court. As a result of this ruling, the Supreme Court overturned the convictions of Ernesto Miranda, Michael Vignera, and Carl Westover, but they upheld the convictions of Roy Stewart. While Ernesto Miranda's rape and kidnapping convictions were overturned, his robbery conviction remained intact, and so therefore he actually remained behind bars. Following the Supreme Court's decision, police departments across the U.S. began distributing these Miranda warning cards to their officers. And these cards contained the now famous Miranda rights, which, as we've been saying, is you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. We hear it all the time. I mean, not do you? Uh, not personally. Do I need to I know this? <laughs> I don't hear it all the time. But you know, you hear it all the time in TV movies and it's just a very famous spiel. So it is important to note, though, that the specific wording of the Miranda warning can vary from state to state, but all states, um, it is required that they ensure that the essential elements that are mandated by the Supreme Court are effectively communicated to the suspect that's in custody. In February of 1967, Ernesto faced a retrial for the rape and kidnapping charges. His previous confession was excluded as evidence in his retrial. His ex-girlfriend Twyla testified as a witness for the prosecution and said that Ernesto had confessed to her when she went to visit him in jail right after he was arrested. Ernesto asked Twyla to go to Patricia and convince her to drop the charges. Ernesto ended up being found guilty again and once again received the same 20 to 30 year sentences for each conviction. In prison, Ernesto gained some notoriety, but he also faced hostility from fellow inmates. He was paroled in December of 1972 and he briefly gained a little, he got his 15 minutes of fame, I guess you could say. And he even very outrageously, in my opinion, was 
signing, like autographing uh-huh. the Miranda warning cards, I guess, and like charging a dollar fifty. Okay. But in July of 1974, Ernesto was actually rearrested for possessing a firearm during a routine traffic stop. And of course, you can't do that whenever you are a convicted felon. So yes. he was taken back to prison. He was released again in December of 1975. At that point, his relationship with his girlfriend, Twyla, had soured, and she had gone and changed her name and was denying him access to their daughter. Then, less than two months after being released again, Ernesto was met with his final fate. On January 31st, 1976, Ernesto visited a Phoenix bar called La Amapola. While at the bar, Ernesto played cards and drank beer with two friends, 23-year-old Fernando Rodriguez and 23-year-old Marina Perez. As the card game ended, alcohol-induced tensions escalated into a heated altercation. Witnesses gave varying accounts about who did what. So one version suggests that Fernando tossed a few dollars at Ernesto, to which Ernesto responded, no, it won't be done that way. Ernesto's frustration then came to a boiling point, leading him to punch Marino, causing him to fall. Ernesto then turned his attention to Fernando, and the situation continued to escalate until a bartender intervened. Ernesto went to the restroom and washed the blood off of his hands. When he came back, he saw that Fernando was gone, but Marino was still there, and he was still mad. Marino was now armed with a knife and was taunting Ernesto in Spanish. Ernesto attempted to disarm Marino, but he failed. Instead, Marino stabbed Ernesto multiple times. Ernesto collapsed near a pool table, and Marino fled the scene. Paramedics arrived, but Ernesto, who was only 34 years old at the time, was pronounced dead from his injuries. Police searched for both Fernando and Marino, and eventually they were able to locate Fernando. When he was arrested, he was read his Miranda warning in English and Spanish before questioning. Fernando's exact location is unclear. Marino was found at the nearby Salt River Hotel, but he denied any connection to the incident and said he wasn't present at the bar during Ernesto's attack. A photograph of Marino was taken, and the police returned to the bar, where the bartender positively identified him as the assailant. So the officers returned to the hotel to arrest Marino, but he had already vanished, leaving authorities speculating that he may have returned to Mexico. Initially, the county attorney's office declined to press charges against Marino due to insufficient evidence, but on February 5th, they filed murder charges against him. But they were never able to locate him after that, and Fernando was not charged with anything. Wow. The Supreme Court's decision in Ernesto Miranda's case sparked a lot of controversy. Some people viewed it as affording suspects their dignity in the legal process, while others expressed concerns that suspects might choose to remain silent once they were informed of their right to do so, and that that would make law enforcement's job much harder to do. During his preparations for the presidential bid in 1968, Richard Nixon actually weighed in on this whole controversy, and he alleged that decisions like the one in the Miranda case had nearly eliminated confessions as effective tools in law enforcement and prosecution. However, American Heritage reported that statistics actually contradicted this viewpoint. Studies from the 1960s and 70s indicated that, contrary to popular belief, The Miranda case had very little to no impact on the detective's ability to solve crimes. 
So today, individuals are informed of their Miranda rights every time they are taken into custody. And additionally, police are required to confirm the suspect's understanding of these rights and inquire if they wish to speak while invoking them. If the suspect doesn't speak English, a translator has to be brought in to be able to convey this warning. Individuals can invoke their Miranda rights at any point before or during questioning. If the person indicates a desire to remain silent or to request an attorney, then the interrogation must stop until an attorney is present, and this allows for consultation and representation during any further questioning. To be able to effectively invoke your rights, you have to be pretty explicit in stating your position. You have to say something like, I'm not answering your questions, I want to speak to an attorney, and um, not doing what some people do, which is asking the police what they think you should do. You know, you see sometimes people will be like, should I get an attorney or do I need an attorney? It's important to note that police are only obligated to read your rights if they are planning to interrogate you about a crime or criminal activity. You can be arrested without being read your rights as long as there's no plan to question you in the immediate future. But if they do decide to interrogate you, they have to inform you of your rights first. In certain cases, suspects in custody may not be subjected to immediate interrogation. For instance, when two suspects are arrested together and placed in a patrol car, their conversations may be recorded without an officer asking questions. In such instances, no immediate Miranda warning is required. However, if the police later decide to question them about the crime, the Miranda warning must be given. There are other situations in which Miranda warnings may not be necessary as outlined by the Hardy Law Firm. The first is with traffic stops. Miranda warnings are unnecessary during routine traffic stops unless the driver is placed in custody and questioned. Next is the freedom to leave. If a police encounter allows a person to feel free to leave, Miranda warnings typically aren't required. That sounds like that could be like a gray area that could really get messed up, right? Yeah. The next is voluntary visits to police stations. Suspects voluntarily going to police stations for interviews do not trigger Miranda rights. I thought that was kind of interesting. There's also non-police questioning. Um, That's like store security, and they don't require Miranda warnings unless directed by a police officer. Next is non-incriminating questions, which are those routine non-incriminating things. And even if those yield incriminating information, they don't demand Miranda warnings. So if the officer says, what color hair do you have? And the person says, I just robbed the bank down there. They're not going to be in trouble. That person just freely gives information and should have gotten an attorney to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly is unprompted statements. Miranda warnings aren't needed when a suspect voluntarily speaks without police questioning. So to kind of sum everything up, Ernesto Miranda's life was quite a journey. And you might not have known his story. I definitely did not have um, a full understanding of where the Miranda rights actually came from. But you probably... Most likely, I'm going to say definitely. You definitely knew the Miranda rights before this episode. Uh, But before these rules existed, people just didn't always know that they had these protections, which, as I kind of was saying in the beginning, is really hard to imagine in today's world. Ernesto's life really had its ups and downs, and he had a very rough past, but his name became famous because of this case. And it really just reminds us of how important it is to make sure everyone's rights are respected, especially when they're in trouble with the law. I say especially there because... In this case, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, Melissa, off the mic, but we were kind of saying how before we learned about this case, both of us kind of thought, we assumed that 
it would have been a story where Ernesto Miranda was of like innocent person yeah. and was wrongly accused or, um, you know, had given a false confession or a coerced confession, but that actually wasn't the case. Um, I was Ernesto very Miranda. surprised so, by that. Yeah. Um, but very interesting story and definitely one that I was kind of surprised. I didn't, I didn't know about. Yeah, for sure. So before we turn the page and just do a quick last thing before we go, we do want to talk about an update that we had not discussed yet um, in the Jared Bridegain case, which as you guys know, if you've been listening and following along, is a very special case to us. We have been closely kind of connected with Kirsten Bridegain, who tragically lost her husband to a senseless, senseless shooting um, in Jacksonville, Florida. So we have kind of been updating a little bit about the case. We covered the story. I'm not exactly sure. It's been a little while now since we've released our episode on the case. Um, But a lot has happened since then. And we've been trying to kind of update you guys a little bit. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to our episode on the story as well. So if you have been following along with that case, we did mention, I think, several months back now that um, they had arrested Mario, who was Jared Bridegan's ex-wife's new husband, in connection with the case. And there was all this talk about is his ex-wife actually going to be arrested as well. And she was. So that was kind of a big update in the case that we never um, came and kind of gave that update on our podcast, even though we've been giving updates this whole time. So we did want to let you guys know that Jared's ex-wife and her husband are now both in custody and have been charged with his murder. So that is some really great progress in this case. And as always, we are following along very closely for any more updates. And on that note, it kind of leads us into um, talking about the Brightigan Foundation that Kirsten Brightigan founded um, in the wake of her husband's death. And she has been working so hard to just really make her vision come to life and has done such a wonderful job. We have just had the one-year anniversary since the Brightigan Foundation was established as a nonprofit and actually functioning and working towards their goal of distributing Bexley boxes, which is something else that we've been talking about a lot. Yeah, very excited about that. And if you don't know about the Brightigan Foundation, we definitely would love for you to check it out. They do have um, social media pages on Instagram. You can follow the Brightigan Foundation as that's their handle on Instagram. Um, and there's a lot of information there. Um, but through the Brightigan Foundation, uh, Kirsten has been working very hard to distribute Bexley boxes to police stations across the United States. So we've been talking about Bexley boxes as well. There's a lot of information that we can share about that, like I said, and that we have. So we will include all of that in the show notes and um, include places where you can go to even learn more about what you can do to get involved if that is something that interests you. Alyssa, we're really excited. We got to have a Bexley box at CrimeCon with us. Yes. We kind of had that in the works and um, aren't really sure quite yet what we're going to do or where we're going to be able to place the box. But there have been 34 boxes total that have been donated to police stations across the U.S., which is amazing, amazing. to think that there are 34 Bexley boxes out there and hopefully 35 as soon as we can find what to do with this one that we have. Yeah, it's really incredible. And it's been really cool to see uh, messages come in that Kirsten has shared showing where where police officers or police stations have been able to use the Bexley box for kids who are in there for whatever reason who are at the station. So it's really cool to see her vision 
come to life. And uh, it's a really awesome thing to be a part of. And speaking of this, if you gave for the season of justice, we have not forgotten about you. I will get those names and next week. I promise we will do your shout out next week. I'm so sorry. Yes. I don't have them. Mandy. Yes. You ready to turn the page yeah. officially? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at you since that's kind of I love that we've like assigned parts on this and like yes. very unofficially, but like I know and you know and the listeners know uh, what yep. order things should go into. So, Mandy, since we were discussing this week uh, the Miranda rights, so that would be cool to look at other laws and kind of their history as well, other weird laws and what their history is. So, Mandy, I don't really have any like game really here, but if you want to guess the state, that would be kind of cool. I'll go through okay. um, them. You have a 2% chance of getting these right. Yeah. <laughs> one out of 50. Okay. First one. Mandy, did you know that – I want to change it because I want to end on that one. Nope, I want to end on that. Okay. Did you know that it's illegal for donkeys to sleep in bathtubs in this specific state? So this law passed in 1924, soon after a dam broke and flooded a rancher's property that was home to a donkey who was sleeping in a bathtub. So that is a real – like, that is where that law came from. It was a real thing that happened after this poor donkey was, his nap was ruined in a bathtub. So, Mandy, did you want to guess what state that would be? All right. I have two guesses. Okay. I think it has to either be Arizona or New Mexico. How the heck did you know that? It was Arizona. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> but how did you know that is my question. Are Where else are there donkeys in the U.S.? <laughs> Honestly, in 1924, I assumed they were everywhere. I did not know. I don't they know. Were- like, I am so dumb that, like, my little brain was like, oh, donkeys, Grand Canyon. Where's that? <laughs> yes. Honestly, I've never been more proud of you, which is – I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, my brain is really firing on all cylinders It right really now. is. I'm quite impressed. Okay. <laughs> next one. Um, this law states that if an elephant is left tied to a parking meter – the parking fee has to be paid just as it would be for a vehicle. Mandy, I'm going to encourage you to use that same deductive reasoning to think about where elephants may be. <laughs> uh, let's say. Okay. North Dakota. <laughs> okay. Well, I was so proud of you there for a minute. Um, it's actually Florida. Oh. And you'll you'll see why, though. Um, the law states that any mode of transportation must have parking paid for it, including elephants, horses, and camels. It possibly originated in the 20s when the Ringling Brothers Circus moved its winter operations to Florida. Oh. Yeah. So, man, I really was thinking you were psychic a few minutes ago. And now I'm like, <laughs> no, she's just Mandy. It's... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, two more. Uh, in this state, it's illegal to sleep in a cheese factory. Wisconsin. No, it's um, <laughs> that would be a good one, though. Um, South Dakota. So basically, there was some law in why does it say in a Lodi, California newspaper? Okay. It states that it's illegal. This is back from 1948 to sleep in a cheese factory unless the cheese is in closed packages. So, oh, it's like a health and safety thing. Yeah. So, like, no other reason, right? There's like, <laughs> if you eat a bunch of cheese and you're tired, you cannot go to sleep unless it's craft singles, in which go ahead, right. take a nap. <laughs> All right. Last one. I thought this one was great. Um, in this state, a pickle cannot be legally considered a pickle unless it bounces. <laughs> Isn't that so good? 
And the state, you'll, I mean, if you get it, it's literally a 2% chance on this one because it's so wild. It, it doesn't matter. Montana. Okay. No, but it was Connecticut. It was, it's, it's the East Montana. I don't know what Do to tell you. Do they have like pickle bouncing competitions or something? Do they? I don't know, but I've never <laughs> heard of like bouncing a pickle Here's why. to begin with. So here's the reasoning. Here's the Miranda rights of this one. Uh, during the <laughs> 1800s, a group of men sold cucumbers disguised as pickles, but with a heftier price tag. So officials stated that. Hold on. Yeah. They were supposed to be pickles, but they were actually just still, they weren't pickled. Yeah. They were like, this is a pickle. And people were like, great, I'll buy it and I'll pay a little more than I would for a cucumber. Oh my gosh. That is so frustrating whenever you eat a, that you think it's a pickle, but it's not pickly enough. Like it's still just a cucumber. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not That's good terrible. with like vegetables that kind of look alike. I, I don't know what to do. Um, It's very confusing. Not that <laughs> one so much, but um, anyway, it resulted in officials stating that without tasting a pickle, you only know if it's real, if it bounces. Which makes sense. It would bounce. It would. So, okay. Yeah. So I can see now if you want to throw it on the ground, if it's a cucumber, it's going to like, I don't know, smash maybe. But if it's a pickle, it's going to like bounce. But then you have like, then you just threw your pickle on the floor. I know. (laughs) But what I like is I really feel like this changed my life. I don't know why. I don't. I know. I I know. I'm like so happy to know this information. For no reason. Absolutely no reason. <laughs> 10 bucks says my son already knew this. I haven't asked him yet. But I'm sure. Out. Oh, my gosh. That's too funny. Wow. Wow. And that's well, it. those that's are very interesting. And yeah, those are very interesting and fun facts. I always love hearing also like kind of goes along with like silly laws or like ridiculous yeah, yeah. ones. Like you can't cross the street with an ice cream cone in your back pocket or that something That was one like that, that came like, up, but they didn't know where it right. came from. <laughs> they didn't know where the law actually came from. Like what – what turned somebody so off of ice creams in back pockets oh. that a law was made? Oh, yeah, That's the yeah. part I couldn't find. Oh, bummer. All right, guys. Well, that was it for this week. We will be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.